the morning show. The home team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Bray. Crossover, step back! Right here on 960theref.com. What's up, everyone? Sam Franco, Chris Brain back with another edition of the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com, also on iTunes. If you haven't already subscribed, you should do that because every episode we record automatically uploads to your iTunes, and then you can listen to it at your leisure. So head over to iTunes. Please rate and review for us. We appreciate that. That helps us know that, A, that there are people listening, which we know you all are, and B, uh, lets us know, uh, or at least it, it thrusts us forward in terms of podcast searches and things like that. So a little five-star review action, a little rating there, we would greatly appreciate it. But Brain, we've got plenty to get to on today's podcast. We'll start off with some Urban Meyer talk as that decision has come down, and we have plenty of thoughts on that. We'll uh, jump then to Zamir White and his injury for UGA and then we'll wrap up the podcast kind of talking a little bit about the Falcons' preseason strategy in terms of them holding Julio Jones and Devontae Freeman out of these exhibition games. But first and foremost, Urban Meyer, three-game suspension at Ohio State. They admit that he probably knew way more than he let them know. They admit that he lied about it. Some legal analysts are saying they could go ahead and fire him for cause right now, which means they wouldn't have to give him any money. But instead, they're just going to give him a three-game suspension. Yeah, I mean, this is the dirty part of uh, college athletics now where you you know, you know figure out how the sausage is made, and it's a billion-dollar industry. So, of course, there's going to be corruption, and there's going to be fighting for every last scrap of dollar that you can get. And he's remarkably valuable to, the, uh, to Ohio State. And as this dragged on, you started to just get the sense that uh, that was my feeling. You know, at first, like, your initial reaction is like, he's, he's not going to survive this, hey, he's, he's going to get fired. But, you know, as the days passed, I had settled on, you know what, he's going to end up just serving some sort of a suspension, and that is absolutely what happened. A few of the things that came out of that from uh, from the other night, though, that, I mean, they should really, I mean, it deserves its own, a laugh track. It's cringeworthy, a the, lot of uh, Especially the one that... We learned during the investigation that Coach Meyer has sometimes had significant memory issues <laughs> in other situations where he had prior extensive knowledge of events. He's also periodically taken medicine that can negatively impair his memory, concentration, and focus. Yeah, the kids would nowadays, uh, they would phrase that as, man, Coach Meyer's on them Zans? He's popping them Zannies? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but also to me, it's like, well, it just excuses any bad behavior now that any of his players ever had. Oh, with he the just stuff forgot. that they let Zach Smith get away <laughs> with. I mean, beyond the, the domestic violence accusations, but the, uh, the strip club appearances, the uh, just flat out skipping recruiting trips and then claiming that he made the, uh, the trips. Uh, the adult toys that were sent the to the Ohio toys. State athletic facilities. Uh, he he slept with a staffer. Um, he took pictures of himself nude, both in Ohio State's athletic facilities and also at the White House. Oh yeah, the White House. Yeah. Um, that place. I, so you know, I mean, for there's for years and years, there were just there were reasons to can that guy even just beyond the the domestic violence accusations. But he covered for that guy and. He gets a three-game suspension, and Terrell Pryor several years ago, I think, had to sit out five for exchanging tat, uh, some merchandise for tattoos. Yeah, think about this. Jim Trestle got fired for that. Yes, he did. And yeah. Urban Meyer's only getting a three-game suspension for this? 
This is way worse. The situations aren't even comparable because some would say that those Ohio State players, what were they selling their little golden britches pendants or they were trading them for tattoos or like, yeah. like pieces of memorabilia they were like signing that they got. Stuff and trading it. Yeah. Right. That's all the property of the players. Like their intellectual property is their signature. They, you know, they were doing things that some people argue they should be allowed to do anyway. Whereas Urban Meyer's covering up for an alleged domestic abuser and a lot of other things that this guy was doing. This sounds like a crappy guy. And he lied directly to everyone when yeah. he said he didn't know anything about it. This was good, too. Upon seeing the report, the Brett McMurphy report, when it first came out that uh, morning, Brian Voltolini, who was on the practice field with Coach Meyer, went to speak with him, commenting that this was a bad article. The, dude, the two discussed at the time whether the media could get access to Coach Meyer's phone and specifically discussed how to adjust the settings on Meyer's phone so that text messages older than one year would be deleted. So now when this investigation came on and got his phone, there were no text messages on Urban Meyer's phone. Older he was covering than one, things up. He was hiding things. Older than one year, yeah. <laughs> and when you go back to like the, even the, the Tom Brady story in the NFL with Deflategate, when that got taken to court, I mean, the, the court there basically assumed that with Brady not turning over his phone and his text messages, that he that was guilty. There was stuff that he yeah. was covering up and guilty of. So, to me, that assumption can be made now too with this, uh, you know, Urban Meyer. That all of a sudden you're having a conversation with somebody about how to delete text messages, and then there are no text messages on your phone that are older than a year. This whole situation to me is pathetic and is a joke, and shows that we as a society at times let something as trivial as sport. Uh, overtake what we should actually be concerned with, and that is what's happened in this situation with Ohio State fans. It's like, look, there was a victim here. Her name is Courtney Smith. Her name in the Ohio State press conference, which, by the way, was super late at night on a Wednesday night, they've, they've gotten pretty good at deciding when they should release this information because uh, they want to do it with as little eyes on it as possible. But there's a victim here. Her name is Courtney Smith. Her name didn't get mentioned at all. In this press conference, until one person at the end, one journalist, decided to ask Urban Meyer about it. And instead of, basically, the question was, what would you say to Courtney Smith in all of this? And instead of him, you know, apologizing to her or whatever, he said, the question was, you know, what would you have to say to Courtney Smith? And he says, well, I have a message for everyone involved in this. I'm sorry that we're in this situation. So he took a question about the victim and made it about himself. Well, I mean, to I mean, let's be let's be you know to backtrack though is Urban Meyer continues to I mean he maintains that he doesn't believe there was domestic abuse that happened. So I guess if he apologized to her, then that would be that acknowledging it because that's part of this too. Coach Meyer did not inform others at OSU about Zach Smith's 09 arrest. Coach Meyer has explained that he did not do so because no charges were filed and because he believes Zach Smith had not engaged in domestic violence in 2009. So, um, I, I mean, I guess to apologize to Courtney Smith would be then, well, what are you apologizing for? I mean, there are some sort of, there, you know, there's a bit of gray area whether or not Urban Meyer and his wife Shelly really believe which story they believe. And but you know who does believe that at least they knew about it? Ohio State, because they said it in their findings. They said they find it very hard to believe that Urban Meyer would not have known, based on his relationship and his close relationship with his wife, that he would not have known about any of this stuff. So, yeah, yeah, on the fourth page of this thing, they basically start out by saying they believe Urban Meyer is lying to them. 
Coach Meyer maintains that shortly after the 09 arrest, both Zach and Courtney Smith met with him in his office at Florida. And then later on it says, well, Courtney denies ever meeting with him. Zach Smith also confirms that and says, I met with him, but Courtney did, uh, did, did not. not. We find it more likely that only Zach Smith went with, met with Coach Meyer in 09 and that Courtney Smith likely did not recant her allegations of abuse at that time. So basically, in one paragraph – and in the next paragraph, they say, we believe the other two. We don't believe Urban Meyer. So we, they start the thing off by basically saying, yeah, Urban Meyer was lying to us in this. So how does he still have a job? Oh, because Ohio State values football wins and stuff more than the moral integrity of their coach, who looks like he can just lie, and it's fine, and uh, nothing will happen to him. It's amazing how in, in 2018 it seems like, man, lying seems to get you pretty far nowadays. Yeah, I mean, just deny, 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 and it's, uh, you know, it happens regularly with fan bases everywhere. I mean, you're going to, um, you know, you're going to rationalize just about any decision your coach makes if that coach is a uh, is a winner. So Ohio State fans are doing it now. Penn State fans did it with Paterno. His Baylor fans were doing it with, uh, with Art Bryles, and now... You know, you've got uh, this deal in Columbus. One thing I've got to say about this is, doesn't it kind of feel like, not just like Big Ten fans or like the schools themselves, but also the media that covers the Big Ten, they kind of have this superiority complex over us hick rednecks down here in the SEC that'll do anything to win. I better not hear one Big Ten fan get on that moral high ground to me ever again because you look at three recent scandals that have occurred in the Big Ten. Joe Paterno, Ohio, or Penn State, Sandusky, all the stuff that happened there. Larry Nasser in Michigan State, and now Ohio State, and you're going to tell me that you have a moral superiority and, and you're on the moral high ground over the SEC? Give me a damn break. If I hear one Big Ten fan come at me with that crap again, I'm just going to start laughing. Well, this stuff did start in Gainesville, though, with well, Zach Smith. This is, this is true, <laughs> but it ends now at Ohio State in a situation where the university could have sent a message that sport will not supersede a woman's safety within her marriage. But instead, what are we seeing here? Oh, sports are way more important. Urban Meyer's not getting fired because he wins us football games and he won us a national championship. So we've got to take extreme caution here in how we handle this. But I think that this is going to affect Ohio State in multiple ways. You think the negative recruiting hasn't already started? And, you know, it's going to continue now with a lot of these coaches. And look, Ohio State coaches na or recruits nationally, just like a lot of programs. So a lot of these schools that are maybe going head-to-head -head with someone uh, or head-to-head -head with Ohio State for a player might look at the moms that, that they have to deal with in these situations and say, you want to send your son to go play for that guy? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it will impact him negatively, and he'll it struggle should. on that front. But even now, I mean, it's like you're going you're gonna to miss class and then run gassers for it or something? Because, uh, you know, this old assistant coach that used to hang out here used to, like, claim he was going on recruiting trips and fill out the paperwork for it, but was actually not showing up to them. Yeah, so apparently one thing that Ohio State and Urban Meyer are, are the example they're setting for their student-athletes are it's okay to lie, um, or at least you'll get a slap on the wrist for lying. Um, it's okay to not show up to do your job. And uh, if Ohio State or any of these players start to get disciplined for Urban Meyer and the coaching staff – I mean, if you're a player, why don't you say something along the lines of, man, this is worse than Zach Smith got. Because one thing Zach Smith never really got from Ohio State or Florida was punished. No. I mean, until July when he finally did get uh, 
uh, fired, but I mean, across the country too, it's just the the double standard that, that exists. I mean, at North Carolina right now, they've got a handful of players that are suspended four games because they were selling shoes. Right. Um, uh, you know, I mean, how many how many games did Todd Gurley miss because of that uh, that autograph thing too? Yeah. So. so Todd Gurley and AJ Green both will have been suspended longer than Urban Meyer for again situations that some people, myself included feel like they should be able to sell their merchandise or sell their intellectual property or their signatures or whatever because they belong to them. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just the – I mean, the, the players have no advocate. They can't have agents. Um, they don't have contracts. They don't have agents or anything like that. And, uh, you know, the the coaches do. So I guess it's a much uh, more slippery slope. The NCAA really doesn't have any power to come after coaches. And, like, one time they tried with Rick Neuheisel, and he sued him and won. When he got canned after, because uh, he participated in an NCAA tournament bracket, mm-hmm. um, and you know that's why you don't really see the NCAA really messing with these coaches because they've got lawyers and they've got a lot of money and they can fight it, but uh, the players have no power, so they basically just have to sit back and uh, and take it. But you know, it's it's just I don't know. It's a it's another one of those things you see where it's like sometimes it's increasingly difficult to, you know, like boy, I mean, is this how I want to like spend my entertainment dollars but the games will start next week and I love the games and I like talking about the games and you know you just hate it that so many of these coaches just prove to be so loathsome uh you know time and time again and then it's ugly too because it'll it'll happen everywhere though and I don't I really don't think even a Georgia fan base would be unique in that either that if if your coach does something bad, if your coach is successful, you're going to come up with any reason you possibly can to rationalize that behavior, and Ohio State fans are just the latest to do it. Exactly, and uh, this is a big black eye on college athletics. It's a big black eye on the Big Ten, big black eye on college football. Ohio State had an opportunity to set a much better example for their student-athletes and they didn't do it. Yeah, and then, you know, over and over again, too. And I honestly, I don't I can't think there's anybody who buys it. No. But the idea that the the all-powerful coach and even in this instance here with Meyer, from the very first statement that uh that he put out there a couple of weeks ago after they agreed to the uh the indefinite suspension, the paid leave of absence, where his statement was Gene and I agreed that this would be the best thing to do that here you have theoretically this superior but working in conjunction with you you decided this and even with Zach Smith as as these things started to get uh, revealed about him over the years in Columbus and Gene Smith the AD actually told Urban Meyer like you probably should fire this guy and my no I didn't I'm not going to fire him so here's so who has more power here in this weird hierarchy exactly (laughs) but then you get to this point where the defense of Urban is well there's this red tape bureaucracy bureaucracy that exists and all he can do is follow that bureaucracy. And that's what he did in this instance here. So the president doesn't have any power. The AD doesn't have any power. The coach is the only person that has any power. And he's the one that is under investigation here. So what do you think is going to happen? Nothing, because he's the only one that has any power. And him being suspended three games, you know, he seems very defiant. Paul Feinbaum said it like this. He seemed like a hostage. Reading this statement last night, and he did because no, he, he didn't want to read it. No, well, he was making him sure. I mean, I'm sure he feels like the victim, but you know, it just comes to well, the, he does feel like the victim because when somebody asked him about the actual victim, he included himself instead of saying, I'm sorry to the victim, he said, I'm sorry we are in this situation. 
what no, a I mean, joke. yeah, he's a he's a narcissist, but um, and that's why just it, it you know increasingly when you get these defenses and it would you know beginning with Penn State and Joe Paterno that well no, I mean. Joe Paterno did what he was obligated to do. He reported it to his uh, higher ups, and that was the same thing here. That again, these coaches—they're—they're—they're they're, they're all powerful. They're the most powerful people on those campuses. But when it comes to some sort of a scandal, then we're to believe that they're beholden to this bureaucracy and the red tape, and you're running up the chain of command. And beyond that, it's out of their hands. You know, they and say, I don't know Brandon. anyone who be- who buys that except for the fans of each individual school when they want to you know, support their, their coach. You know, they say, Brain, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. And just passing it on up the boat. Oh, I did my part. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's the, break. that's the hand he played here. It's just stupid. It's horrible. And again, they had a chance to set a good example for the student athletes who are supposed to be the most important people here uh, and, and setting an example for them and showing them the right way to do things. And they did none of that. They did completely wrong things and pretty much every instance here so again before we move on to georgia i just want to say let's all remember there is a victim her name's courtney smith and let's end it at that because i feel like that's not been emphasized nearly enough Uh, all right switching things over to georgia football here and the dogs got some bad news uh this past weekend with the the news that zamir white uh, tore his acl in his left knee uh, not the same knee that he tore his senior year of high school but uh, still a uh, horrible situation uh, for Georgia, and uh, not so much for Georgia because they have a lot of depth in the position, but it's a horrible situation for Samir White, and, and we can talk about whether or not he should have been on uh, punt coverage to begin with, but Georgia's M.O. you know, has been putting five-star recruits on special teams early on in their career. Look at Sony Michelle making tackles against Clemson his freshman year. Uh, being on special teams. Sony ended up being one of Georgia's best ever running backs. So uh, I think that you have an MO, you have a, a philosophy and a way you do things. And I don't necessarily think you change that for just one guy, but certainly a guy coming off of an ACL injury might be a little bit different of a case. Yeah. I mean, even me, Cole Hardman last year um, was tied with Nate McBride for special teams tackles a, a year ago. And I mean, so many, I mean, some of my, you know, the the clearest visions of Georgia's punt game last year were seeing me Cole sprinting downfield as, as a gunner. A, uh, yeah. As a gunner, but here's the, all those examples of uh, Kirby brought up Derek Hunter from or, his, uh, or Derek Henry from his time at uh, Alabama. Me Cole Sony and those guys. None of those guys were less than a year removed from having ACL reconstruction. And like this past week here, this is on a much obviously smaller scale, but this is what I was talking about is fans will do will will rationalize any decision their successful head coach makes but Zamir White should not have been gunning punts during a scrimmage he shouldn't have and he was but but the excuses will come because well Kirby's a winner and we'll support him and whatever he does but um they uh I mean they just they they weren't looking out for Zamir's best interest to have him out there doing that 10 months after he had had his ACL reconstructed I won't go as far as you because I do agree that this is a special circumstance. I don't have any problem with Zamir White in a vacuum being on special teams coverage. Maybe, you know, that soon after recovering from an ACL tear, that brings this as a special case. So I'll say it as I don't have any problem with him being on the punt team, but where I do sort of think about it and, and, and have a second thought about it, like you, you just alluded to there, is a guy coming off of a, an ACL tear and being that 
closely removed from it. Yeah, no, I don't either. I mean, I support having our best players on special teams, and I agree with those examples like Sony and Mecole, but, you know, again, none of those guys were less than a year removed from ACL. And also, this was a scrimmage. Mm-hmm. This wasn't even a game. Right. It was a scrimmage. And so, you know, now this kid is – I mean, he's got two knee injuries that he's got to come back from. I mean, I know so many people just think, eh, you know, Chubb did it, Gurley did it, he'll be fine. But what about, like, remember Marcus Lattimore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't come back from it. And he he did it to separate knees, He did it to he? separate knees, okay. too. Now, I mean, his were really bad. But, um, you know, I mean, there's just no guarantees. And even if he does come back and has a somewhat productive college career, I mean, I mean you think he's going to be a first-round NFL draft pick with, with – uh, you know, two, ACL two ACLs. Yeah, two ACL tears before he turned, you know, 19 years old. Yeah, basically. and, you know, and this is one of those deals, too, where everyone turns into a, a doctor and a medical professional. And, again, even to go to some of the rationalizing Kirby's decision, I mean, I've seen some, some people that will say, like, well, Kirby's not a doctor and the medical staff cleared him. So it's like, he, so, well, it's not his fault. Blame the doctors instead. But there's, you know, there's got to be some – some common sense of like, all right, he can come back and he's full go, but he's a five-star running back, and maybe we don't need to have him sprinting 30 or 40 yards downfield and suddenly decelerating. Maybe that's not the best thing for him coming off of uh, coming off of, uh, of of an ACL tear. Well, now how this will impact Georgia going forward in terms of the 2018 season, I don't think really at all. I mean, and that's the thing. I, I know that Zamir White, five-star running back, could have been a very useful piece for the dogs. But you've already got DeAndre Swift. You've already got Elijah Holyfield, who people say have has looked great in camp. Uh, you've got James Cook to throw in there as well. And let's not forget Brian Harry. And I think of all the people that were competing for carries in the backfield, though, Holyfield is the one this impacts the most because he and Zamir White were the most similar in terms of their running styles, where you have DeAndre Swift, who's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, kind of like the Sony Michelle type, and you've got James Cook even more than that could line up in the slot you know James Cook is a guy who they could be utilizing all across the field Zamir White was more of the between the tackles you know bowl over people kind of back and I think that's what Elijah Holyfield can step in and do really well in terms of being that guy being more of the Nick Chubb to DeAndre Swift slash James Cook's Sony Michelle. Yeah, no, it sounded like, I mean, Zamir really was coming into, he was going to be the number two back and you know, there was what like he was going to you know be more available toward the end of the year it was sounding like he was going to be you know a significant contributor right from the get-go so yeah I mean I think the it is Holyfield now who probably becomes at this moment like the cleared number two back on the team mm-hmm. or could even be number one hearing on what you're hearing some people say out of camp how good he's looked obviously DeAndre Swift is the guy who seems to be the most likely candidate for number one running back but we're going to see now a guy like Elijah Holyfield get a lot more carries than maybe he even thought he was going to with Samir White being in the fold now that he's injured. Uh, I think this is certainly something that's going to uh, be worthy of paying attention to early in the season in terms of the splits, who's getting the most carries, who's getting what carries in what situation. Yeah. No, I mean, the bad news here really is it's it's only bad news for Zamir White, but um, that hasn't like changed my outlook for Georgia. I was going to say, does it all. affect Georgia's win loss record to you at all? For no, me, no, no, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't suddenly make you know. There's not some opponent on the schedule that now looks like it's uh, a more losable game. Because um, I mean, my my thought all along has been DeAndre Swift is going to be like the primary guy, and Zamir White as a freshman would be he would certainly be a contributor, but it wouldn't make or break 
the uh, the team season at all. So no, and what's crazy to me is that this team with the immediate eligibility of Demetrius Robertson. To me, I think this team can be just as effective running out of like a power eye formation as they can running four wide receivers. Honestly, I mean, the guy that's worrying me right now is Terry Godwin, who has basically not practiced at all this preseason. He was at practice yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday. Uh, Logan and I went over to practice on uh, Wednesday, and he was practicing, so he looked pretty good. Was it like full full go? Or well, obviously, we don't get to see the whole practice. You got to see the ten minute window, so, right? We got yeah. to see a little bit, but from the little bit that I saw, he was catching passes and he looked pretty good. He didn't look like there was anything limiting him okay because i mean he's you know kirby's described it as a minor knee issue but he hadn't really taken part in either of the scrimmages no but uh hopefully uh he's okay and, and ready to rock when the season starts nine days from today again we're recording so it'll be uh eight days coming up on friday and i can count so i will tell you it'll be a week from this coming saturday That's what I, I said like i i i'd really be like full-on worried about it if we do get to game week and he still is kind of mostly on the sideline yeah Yeah. so we'll uh we'll see what happens there but a guy who georgia is taking extreme caution with uh guys that the falcons are taking extreme caution with as we wrap up this edition of the crossover here on 960theref.com sam franco chris bram along with you Uh, julio jones and Devontae freeman according to dan quinn both fully healthy but they will not take part in the preseason uh it looks like this was something that was planned ahead of time but uh, Julio Jones not going to have any games played in the preseason. This was his quote on it. He said, I'm going to be ready to go. I'm getting plenty of reps and things like that in practice. I'm going against some great guys. And he is. I mean, he's got Trufant, Alford. Uh, he's got some very good defensive backs, both safeties and corners that he's going against in practice. But the fact that Julio isn't playing in the preseason, this is kind of like with Zamir White and his injury. It doesn't affect my outlook on the Falcons one iota. No, and I guess with Julio, you have to be extra cautious because he's been a guy who pretty much every year in his career seems like there's just some sort of a nagging injury. Is that like foot injuries, like foot problems? Like a turf toe Mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I know two years ago when they had that window where they played the Niners and Rams back-to-back and both those teams were terrible, those are the two games they sat him out and the Falcons were able to still win them easily. Um, you know, last year there was, really wasn't a, a chance to maybe get him any rest because the team was fighting every game was important. But, um, I mean, I have no problem with him sitting out. I think he'll be uh, fine. And, you know, ditto with Devontae Freeman, too. I mean, I guess the one angle with Freeman is, you know, talking about year two under Steve Sarkeesian and how, you know, how much progress will the offense make in his second year the way it did with Shanahan. I mean, one thing that Kyle Shanahan's offense did more of in that second season was throw to the running backs a little bit more. So, you know, the one angle with Freeman is like, well, he's a running back. It's, you know, find the hole, hit it, and run through it. But if you're going to start working them into the passing game, maybe a little bit more, maybe a few reps would be good for him. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think missing four preseason games when they play like one series anyway is going to blow up the year. And I'll say this too, Matt Ryan to Calvin Ridley looked like a really good connection in that preseason game against Kansas City the other night. Yeah, well, and maybe there's, you know, a little bit too of, of showing everyone because I mean my sense with Ridley even coming out of the draft is I didn't like him potentially as like if some team had drafted him to be their number one primary receiver yeah no that's not gonna work um but you know maybe there's some element of well Ridley's been out there basically on his own now I mean I guess Sanu has played but there's been no Julio Jones to take any attention away from him and he's been productive so 
you know, maybe it's showing that, you know, if, if, if he was needed to be the guy, he could be the guy. Well, and we talked about Georgia and their ability to maybe go four deep if they need to in the passing game uh, at wide receiver. The Falcons can do the same thing. I mean, you look at Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu, Calvin Ridley, Justin Hardy. Uh, you know, they've got enough pieces to where they could probably do the same thing if they needed to. So uh, I, I'm very intrigued by the Falcons this year, not concerned at all by the fact that Julio and Devontae not playing in the preseason. But Sports Illustrated, uh, somebody from Sports Illustrated, rather, uh, just became the second guy from a major publication to predict the Falcons going to and winning the Super Bowl uh, this year. USA Today did it a few weeks ago, and now uh, Sports Illustrated has done it. And I think they're going to be a chic pick. I think they're a very good team on both offense and defense. And, you know, people like the story of picking a team to go to the Super Bowl in their home stadium because nobody's done it. The Vikings got close last year, yeah. but nobody's the, the, ever done it. The Vikings had the torture, though, of actually then having to lose the championship game and come back and host the Super Bowl. That's right. That's horrible. So, ho I mean, hopefully the Falcons don't get to, like, the NFC title game, lose it, and then have to come back and host it, too. They could just get to it. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, Atlanta's got – even pro football focus, we talked about that at some point over the summer. I mean, they've got the Falcons rated as the second-best roster in the NFL. Um, you know, they're, that game in Philadelphia in week one is looking interesting. Cornerback position. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Foles is banged up. I, you know, and I don't think I, – I think they want Foles to start early in the year with, mm -hmm. you know, Wentz coming back from his ACL. So, um, you know, Atlanta could be going up there with, you know, less than 100% Eagles quarterback one way or another. Things would break very nicely for the Falcons if that were indeed the case. But I'm I'm very bullish on this team. I think they can be very, very good this season. I think they can make a run at the Super Bowl. But I'm also an Atlanta sports fan, and I don't want to go too crazy with any sort of predictions because we all know how that goes. Well, I mean, it's crazy, though, how sudden, all of a sudden like things are, are looking up in Atlanta with the Braves, the Falcons, Georgia. I know you're an Atlanta United fan. They're going nuts, yeah. I mean, yeah. everything is looking rosy right now. Like, if you're a Georgia fan that's also an Atlanta sports fan, you mentioned it, the Dogs, uh, they're being picked. They're number three in the AP poll preseason. You look at the Falcons. People are picking them to win the Super Bowl. The Braves right now are going full tilt, and they, they are looking pretty good to make the playoffs. And then, yeah, Atlanta United are uh, in first place in the Supporter Shield standings in MLS and looking to make a run at MLS Cup this season. So, yeah, everything is uh, looking pretty rosy in Atlanta right now, which is uh, not what we're used to. No, and even like the Hawks stink, and they're probably going to be the worst team in the NBA, but that's good. Yes. Yeah. You want them to get like a lottery number one, number two, number three overall pick. Right. Yeah. I mean, right now it's like a race to which Atlanta team is going to win the, a championship first because they're they're all in play. Because if the Braves make the playoffs, they the, to me they've got as good a case to at least make the World Series as any team in the NL. Now those AL teams, oh, the yeah. Yankees, Red Sox, Astros. I think the AL is winning the World Series, but any it's anyone's ball game in terms of who makes the playoffs in the NL. Yeah, I mean the Braves could get if they make the NL playoffs. I mean to me the Braves have just as good a case to make the World Series as any team in there. Obviously Georgia, yeah. I mean it's it's a race to the to the first championship. I hope Georgia's the first one to get it, but you know, if not them, Falcons or Braves would would do, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, in order in terms of how things could happen, the first one that could be one would be the Braves. 
then would be Atlanta United, then would be Georgia, then would be the Falcons, like, just how, in terms of cr- chronology. When the heck does that Atlanta United season end? Uh, so they've got nine games remaining on the regular season schedule, and the playoffs go all the way into December. Like the MLS Cup is like the first or second week of December. What, the year starts in like March, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Oh, I guess that's not really any longer. They play longer. 34 regular season games. Yeah, that's And not it was really delayed a little bit this year by the World Cup. They took a break. Okay, yeah. But I guess that's not really any longer than any – Pro it just season, seems right? like it, I guess. It does seem long. It, baseball, you know, is just as long. Yeah, you know? and I mean, football starts, if you tout, tout, count training camp, I mean, it's August to February. Mm-hmm. So. so, yeah, I mean, they're yeah. all long. But, yeah, I mean, Atlanta United has a good uh, good outlook as well. And, and Joseph Martinez already has 27 goals on the season. Oh, that's the MLS single-season goal-scoring mark. He's tied with three other guys right now, so he has nine games to score one more goal. Isn't, like... But isn't like some big European team going to come and poach him? Maybe. I mean, we'll have to see what happens. But he's already played in Europe, and I think these Atlanta United players are very happy over here. A lot less stress playing over here. They're still making really good money. Right. And, you know, they're having fun. They love the city of Atlanta. They love the Hispanic community and the Hispanic nightlife that exists in Atlanta. So I think they're all uh, loving life right now as far as, uh, I mean, they're they're the kings of their communities, you know, in terms of – uh, going out to the to the like I said the Spanish nightclubs and stuff. I mean right. th- those guys are royalty. So yeah. I don't know why they would uh, want to go anywhere else and maybe move down the pecking order or have more pressure. But right now, like you said, Brian, everything is looking real rosy in the city of Atlanta and the state all, of Georgia. It's all right coming now. up Atlanta right now, w- which is crazy. Not something that we're used to uh, in any uh, way, shape, or form. All right, that will uh, wrap things up for this edition of the crossover. Chris Brain, Sam Franco, along with you. When we reconvene next week, Brain, it'll be football week. It'll be game week. Yes, it will. It'll be football week for Georgia. Very excited about that. So we will uh, leave you with the anticipation of college football. It is very, very close. I'm but leaning again, Georgia against Austin P, but I'll confirm that next week. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, we will wait with bated breath All right. for your official prediction. Yeah, tune in. On the game. But for Chris Bram again, I'm Sam Franco. Thank you so much for listening. Back next week with another episode of The Crossover right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brame on 960theref.com.